0: Together as a church, we behold Jesus Christ, your son, even as he sees us in him. In this service is glorified, even as we are edified alongside the body of Christ. Amen. Praise the Lord. How are you this morning? I uh, Please appreciate my friend again, Pastor Gilbert, <clears throat> the leadership of the church. Praise the Lord. You have your seat. So we we'll do a quick dash. Second Timothy 3 and verse 16. So today we will... Try and wrap, wrap up our uh, introduction, which is today and uh, basically by evening, um, will be our basic introduction. Second Timothy three and verse 16. I'll start from 15. And that former child that was known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make thee wise, unto salvation, through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. Now, uh, the word reproof, uh, So, the word doctrine, let's maybe put it in uh, proper perspective. The word doctrine there, which is spelled didaskalia in the Greek, D-I-D-A-S-K-A-L-I, means teaching or instruction. So as we have said, it's another word for Law of Moses. Is that clear? Torah. Okay, something of that nature. And in now, now, if you are going to put this in a sentence, okay, it is not four things, or there are four things. When it says for doctrine, uh, you know, in today's grammar, you, you could have just added a semicolon and say doctrine, which is reproof. Because the word reproof is a word elect chose. E l e g c h o s, or e l e g c h o, it means to persuade. To persuade. Now, now that word is a is a is a compound of words, okay, uh, and uh, they're oftentimes used in the law court. And Jesus used a lot of law court terminology. For example, in John uh, five forty five, I've not come to accuse you that word categorio, k-a-t-a-g-o-r-e-o now I must put, put, put this in perspective because it's going to come in later on somehow uh, it's just like the word satan now uh, from the Hebrew you have satan then the Greek has satanas now that word is not always an evil word satan simply means to oppose Okay, now you have another word, devil. Devil is diabolos. Diabolos in the, in the Greek, diabolos, which is where you have the word diabolic, diabolical, you know, something like that. Then the Hebrew has shedim, S-H-E-D-I-M. Now, Satan simply means an opponent. Now, in Numbers 22 through to 23, about 22, 23, and 24, you have the case of Balaam, where a donkey spoke and all that. There was uh, a text there that says that the the angel of the Lord sataned Balaam, opposed Balaam. And there are several places in Psalms, I don't want to go into all the text now, where you have, and the Lord opposes. So, satan is not always an evil word. It's not a particular person. Satan is not a particular person. Just like God is not a particular person. You know, today, of course, we think God is just one person. No, God is not just one person. We have, uh, in fact, um, the psalmist says, among other gods, there's none like you. Uh, Psalm 82, verse 1, says, God stands or sits in a congregation of gods. He judges amongst gods. And the word Elohim there shows you that God is not a particular person. It's only a description. Okay? So, uh, um In Exodus 15, who is like unto thee? Amongst other gods, who is like unto you? Okay? Psalm 89, verse 7. There are many texts that shows you that the word God is a description. However, Yahweh, uh, who is a savior God, is a unique God because he's the only uncreated God. Is that clear? Am I making sense? So you have, so those words are, adjectives or let's say job descriptions they are not necessarily a particular person God you know God they are gods and that's why Paul in 1st Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 5 and 6 he says um, for an idol is nothing in this world Um, then he says uh, there are lords many and gods many whether in the earth Or in the heavens, but to us there is one God. So that means He's not denying the existence of other beings called God, but to us. Who's following what I'm saying here? So when He says there is none beside Him, that already establishes that there are other gods. Is that clear? Mm -hmm. Those are prominent things you should really answer. Now we have some of those some of those uh, teaching in uh, the book He mentioned last night, uh, the Charismatic Ministry. We also had uh, a book that also deals a lot in that. Uh, this is Our God, His Sovereignty. We did a study on that. So when you have Satan, Satan is not one single person. For example, uh, okay, let me take that back again. We said the, it means to oppose. It's a legal term. That is to oppose someone that is to be a Satan. Are we here? All right. Now, if you go to the New Testament books. That's the epistles. You have Paul in First Corinthians 5, you know, this brother who had his father's wife. And Paul writes and says that, you know, there's reported among you there's a fornication that is not so short name among the Gentiles. That one should have his father's wife. He so said, You guys are puffed up, you rather mourn. He went on to rebuke them. Then he says, he therefore commands them that. Uh, when they come together and uh, they should put away that brother, right? But what he says there in verse 5, deliver such one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh that his spirit be saved in the last day. Deliver such one to Satan. Now, he's not asking them to send an email to the devil. Deliver to Satan means you should oppose him. To oppose, just like God opposed Balaam, oppose that brother. Deliver to Satan means to oppose. He's not asking them to look for the devil. Now, in First Timothy one twenty again, he says, uh, 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 "Alexander and Philetaus, he said, whom I have delivered to Satan, that they may learn." not to blaspheme. It means I have asked that they be opposed or I have opposed them. Just follow what I'm saying here. 1 Timothy 5, 5, it talks about the widows who have turned after Satan. It doesn't mean they've gone to receive the devil. It simply means that they are opposing. Right? That's what it is. So, Satan is not necessarily a bad word. Is that clear? I didn't expect you to go out and say, I'm now sataning you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't quote me anyway if you do that. <laughs> but it's not necessarily a bad word. So, words can be used differently. So, we're on the word electros. So, now, if you have Hebrews 11.1, 1, you have faith is a substance of things hoped for. The evidence, that word the evidence there is electro. Now, some of us should say the persuasion. Okay? Faith is the persuasion. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now, interestingly, that word has a group of words. You have electos, electchen. E-L-E-G-C-H-E-N. Electos, electchen. Now, you have... That same word used by Jesus, happy when the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you all truth. Okay, that's verse 12 and 13. It says, I will not, um, uh, I will depart, the comforter will come when he's come. He will convict the world, a six, a seven and eight, of sin. Now, convict the world of sin. Now, that's in that group of words, convict the world of sin. Now, that phrase is used again in the law court. I, I won't use convict. If I'm to translate that in any uh, authorized translation, I won't use convict because it seems somehow too strong. Uh, but it carries a shade of what he's saying. Because what he's saying is he will provide the evidence. He'll provide evidence, all right, to the world. Convict the world of sin. Of righteousness and of judgment. Now notice he says of sin because they believe not. So that gives a wider so a, a stronger preponderance or so let's say a stronger advantage to convincing. Because the spirit's work is positive, not negative. So if there is sin, the sin, he says, because they believe not on me. So the spirit's work is to make them believe. So I won't take the word convict, even though you can provide evidence to convict. So if I were to translate that, I will say it will provide evidence for the world to believe, and when they don't believe, they are convicted. That's a wider way of using that word. So he will provide evidence. Now, interestingly, I mean, we should uh, see how the connection works. When Jesus said that, he was referring to the preaching of the gospel. And the preaching of the gospel is done by preaching the scriptures. Come on. Are we together? Okay, so when we say the spirit will convince the world, it's through the written word that is spoken in the work of the ministry. Now go to 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine than to convince or persuade. Now, backtrack a little bit. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. The word inspiration there, um, which is uh, 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 um, uh, to, to inspiration of God together, is the word theonistos. Theo is God, T-H-E-O. Then P-N-E-S-T-O-S, or P-N-E-U, S-T-O-S, they're both right. T-H-E-O-P-N-O-S-T-O-S or P-N-E-U-S-T-O-S. they just correct, you know. Theonistos. Now, there are two words there. It simply means um, God blowing or God's Spirit working to blow, for God's Spirit to blow. Okay? That word is in John 3, 8. The wind bloweth. Where he listed, bloweth. You hear the sound, you can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going to, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. So, the word all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Is Paul proposing or implying the work of the Spirit? Huh? Shall I go over it again? Yes. All right. Inspiration of God means the spirit's work, theonistos. Nistos is pneuma, where you have spirit, okay? So spirit-giving work is inspired of God. Spirit-giving work. You can break it to say the spirit of God inspired it. Is that clear? The spirit of God inspired it. So the spirit of God inspires persuasion. Is that correct? Okay? Okay. John 16, 7, and 8, he will convince the world of sin. Is, are they together? Are they together? So the Spirit will convince the world of sin when we preach the written word. Is that clear? The Spirit will convince the world of sin when we preach the written word. 1 Corinthians 2 and 1. As the brother, I came to you, I came not in the excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Right, For I determined not to know anything among you, verse 2, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It says, I was with you in much weakness, trembling, and with much fear. And my speech and my preaching was not in the words of man's wisdom, pay attention, but in the demonstration of what? The Spirit. The power. apodexis, The demonstration of the Spirit. So Paul is calling the preaching demonstration of what? the spirit. That's your faith. That's persuasion, right? Come on, is that persuasion? That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So, Paul is saying when we preach the written word, it is a demonstration of what? To the intent that it will persuade the carers. So, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Is profitable for persuasion. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. You know, we looked at instruction in righteousness the other time. Remember? Uh-huh. So for persuasion. For persuasion. So which means that the written word is meant to be spoken. It's meant to be preached. Let me put it in another format. It was preached so that it can be, it was preached, written so that it can be spoken. Let's track back a little bit. I guess there's a missing gap somewhere. You know we said yesterday that the written word wasn't like God, God because hey, come on, come write this. Nope. Right? We said that yesterday. Uh, Come write this. You know, you start writing. I Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. We said no. That the Old Testament was put together very likely by you can call them scribes or students of the apostles. or sorry the prophets, what they are called apostles. Prophets who gathered together what they had what they had what? Preached, spoken, and said, and put them in a written format that means it was first before it's written so it's written so that it should be de- declared so it was first spoken so that it might be written then it's written so that it will be spoken so all scriptures given by inspiration of god profiting for doctrine then put this down this is important this is important. That means we said doctrine is a key word there. Is a key word. That's the edding. So doctrine now involves what? Persuasion, correction, instruction in righteousness. If you remember yesterday, we said the word instruction in righteousness also means to speak. Can you remember we said that? Proverbs twenty two, six train up your child in the way of the mouth. Remember? Remember? Okay. So, backtrack a little bit. So, all scriptures, give my expression, what pops for doctrine. Then reproof is to persuade. Okay. So, 16, let's just run through something very quickly. That the man of God may be thoroughly furnished, perfect, prepared unto every good work. Then chapter 4, verse 1. Now, remove the chapters as though you are reading the same paragraph. All right? I charge you before Jesus Christ and His uh, 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 angels, who shall uh, who shall uh, come with Him in appearing, you know, and in last days. Then He says, uh, uh, verse two, preach the word. So, the way to handle the written word is to what? So, for it to persuade, correct, and instruct in righteousness, you have to preach it. Preach the word. It's in, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, no longer precious, and with doctrine. With doctrine. With doctrine. So, in other words, the written word is for preaching. The written word is for preaching. It's, first, it's fundamentally preaching, as we have said. That is written so that it will be preached. I like how Reverend Mark Hankins puts it. He says the word was spoken before it was written. Written so that it will be spoken. So God's word become effective by speaking it. And this is, by the way, is not our subject this morning. And the speaking is not preaching to others alone. It involves you putting the word on your lips yourself. Joshua 1 8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. Thou shalt meditate day and night and observe to do all that is written therein. Then you shall make your way prosperous and have good success. So, therefore, the scriptures, don't forget that the scriptures we're referring to this morning, it's Genesis two, Malachi. Remember that. Remember, 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 yeah, yeah. Genesis two, Malachi, and we said the context of statements, said, made, written, in the epistles, are firstly found in the four gospels. Then the four gospels, their context would be Genesis two, Mark. We said that repeatedly, so that should be very clear. So, to Understand what is said in the epistles. I have to read backwards. Remember that. I have to read backwards to get a hold of that. So, Luke twenty-four and twenty-seven. Learning something? Luke twenty-four and verse twenty-seven. Aside from twenty-five, then he said unto them, "O fools and slow of heart!" To believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Now, 27 says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets. Stay with that statement. He expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, yesterday, we said the word to expound. Right? Right? is the Greek word diamenio. We mean to interpret. And why do we have to interpret? Because as we have said earlier, the language is different. The audience is different. So a key aspect of interpreting Scripture, text of Scripture, right, is, okay, let me run through a small check for you. I often teach this and I say it like this, like this. Who determines the meaning of a text? Who determines the meaning of a text? The writer. I determine what I wrote or what I write. That's simplistic and straightforward, but it has complex complex, or complications. And I'll tell you what a complex or not complication. Take that back. So you have the writer determines the meaning. So Paul writes the book of Ephesians, he determines what he has written. Okay close, close. Not exactly. Now, many times, okay, so which means for me to know the meaning of a writing, I need to go into the mind of the writer. What is in his mind? Okay. The best way to know the meaning of a statement is to call the maker of a statement. You have lawyers in the house? You have an, okay, you're a lawyer. Oh, I didn't you're a lawyer. Wow. Oh, I think I know. You, told, you said it before. Yes, that's like three years ago or so. Five years ago. Oh, that's true. How good. So you, you probably go to hell because this say lawyer's lie. So you have. <laughs> so you have. Now, Now, oftentimes when the document is made, they call for the maker of the document to explain the content of the document. Now, it doesn't mean he can come and twist the meaning. You see? But, I mean you wrote something, yeah. yeah, you wrote this? They ask you, you say, yeah. Who has been in the witness box before? Okay, you are just a good guys, you have no... <laughs> so you say, uh, yeah. yeah, did you write this? Yeah, I did. And then, can you please explain paragraph two to us? So, assuming paragraph two says something like, the best club in the world is Chelsea. Then i will say, then they ask you, do you really mean what you said. Is it a figure of speech or literal? Now, if you say it's literal, then they have a right to controvert what you say because it's nonsense. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So, it's absolute nonsense. But, (laughs) so, (laughs) they come and tell us what it means. Now, even though the right reverts to the maker of the statement, right, the moment he uses a known language, he has delegated that privilege to that language. So, his use of words, right, either confers authority or is conferred the authority on the interpretation. When Paul calls God father, in the Greek, it's patah. So we go, yeah, God is my father. And in your mind, you go to the maternity ward, how a child comes out of the mother. But Paul says he's writing from the Holy Scriptures. So which means, assuming father in English means The husband of your mother who planted his seed in her and gave birth to you. That's English. But since he says he's writing from the scriptures, we we will not take the meaning from English. We'll have to go to the source of his writing. Because he has already conferred the authority of meaning to the book he's using. So, now let me ask quickly, does that also apply with Je- to Jesus? So, which means, Jesus, even though it's God that became a man, confers the authority of his teaching ministry to the scriptures. It means, let me put it in the way I like to say it, but carefully, he submits to it. So, the meaning Even though it's meant to reside in the mind of the author, by his use of language and medium and material, he has delegated that authority. And it's unconditional. So the authority lies with the Old Testament. So I do not interpret. Watch this. I do not interpret his words from English. Not even from Greek. Remember what we did last night? You can't remember that? My Jehovah, Jehovah Wickedness, um, remember that guy I met? Ah, I told you that if you resorted to the Greek which the um, New World Translation does, you would misinterpret the word logos. Logos was was um, a word crafted by men or let's say uh, by a man called Heraclitus. But John is writing from the Old Testament. So our interpretation can't be the Greek logos. It has to be the Hebrew Daba Yahweh. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay, so you pay good attention because we're going to hit the home run tomorrow morning. We're just doing the intro. And then I told you earlier, that it's a two part series. We're coming back in September if he allows me to come. Uh, you, you want me to come, right? You said so. You give me a visa. No, no, I don't need visa to come here. Uh, I'm a citizen of this place. So <laughs> I come <call> <laughs> Anyway, so my point is pay attention to the details, right? So the author doesn't own the exclusive right. By using this language, he submits to it. Okay, I was saying that. So when Paul said, firstborn from the dead, okay, he calls Jesus the firstborn from the dead, Colossians 1.18. Head of the church, the firstborn from the dead, and then in Romans 8, 29, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. I remember a preacher said this years ago, and everybody was screaming. And I said, this is, this is why it's good to understand the original language. He said, firstborn. He's preaching and he's, he was doing so well. Um, just, you know, so, some guys do very well when they're not touching Bible subjects. They're just talking naturally. You know, like someone was telling me this morning, we're discussing the subject. He said, oh, that guy is a motivational speaker. He said, they'll start te- writing books like, this. I've never heard something this crazy before. He said, you can be happy without happiness. <laughs> 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 sorry, sir. That's how they make you get into trouble. You can be happy without happiness. They a you without you. Now, that's okay, but (laughs) if you say it is written, then you have to stick to what is written. So this man was speaking his love. He said, you know, we are unique. We are this one. I like to be told I'm unique, even though I know I'm not. And you know you are not either. You are unique. You are unprecedented. You are. You are. I don't know what to say again. You, You are uncommon. You are uncertain, but that's true. (laughs) And he goes on. So he now said, you know, Jesus is the firstborn. He said, do you know, ever since then, we have had 1,000 born, 2 million born, 100 million born. What kind of statement is that? Because they think firstborn is first child. Now I'm a first child, first son, so I know I would like that, really. But that's not what it means. When they speak about the firstborn, okay, I'm just telling you the use of words. If we say firstborn today, if you come out and say, I am the firstborn, depending on the culture, really. If it's African culture, it will not be the firstborn, but the first male child. Right, My daughter was, asked me one day, she, we were having a conversation. So my father was king and um, myself and his brother were talking about the throne of my uh, town. And then he, my, 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 my son said, he's not interested. You know? I was just teasing him. She said, I'm interested. So she now threw a golden question at me. She said, has there been... You always talk about kings, kings, kings in our town. What about queens? And I said, um, Are you telling me our town is retrogressive? Um, No, but uh, she didn't allow me land. A follow up question followed. She said, Or there has been no first female child? has been. Why are they not qualified? She said, well, if it's my turn, I will fight for it. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It's all right. (laughs) I said, I'll back you up. Amen. Because it will never be your turn. (laughs) You know, but that's really interesting, you know. So, you know, that's a cultural thing. It's a firstborn. But don't read firstborn that way because the author is using an Hebrew Bible. So the Greek says prototokos. Pro is before. Alright? Pro is, or oh, you are pro-proton. Before. So when we say the first shall be the last, it means before. Now Listen carefully. I thought you got that yesterday. Well, we said the first shall be the last. I told you what it means. The first shall be the last. It's the same thing as saying the author and finisher. Is that clear? First is Genesis before the foundation of the world. Is that clear? Last is Eschaton, in the last days. I'll pour out my spirit. So first, Genesis. Last, the resurrection of Jesus. So the first right, shall be the last. So when it says firstborn, it means preeminent. Now, listen now. If you go to the Old Testament, which is Genesis, you have the word bakor, B-A-K-O-R, or B-A-K-O-R-A-H. Firstborn, firstling, bakor, now, it's a, there's a synonym to it, so pause there and put it somewhere. Now, we've, we're, che- we're checking in now. Ready? You know, we're doing pre-boarding, flat, pre-boarding uh, protocol yesterday. Now, we're about to check in, okay? Are you with me? So, when you have back all right? You know, I told you about the on How I'm I teaching you like this. You're making me freestyle. That's a dangerous part. Don't make me freestyle. <laughs> I'm freestyling. <laughs> you know, but let me try. It. Let me try. It. it works out. It's fine for you. You have Bakor, B-A-K-O-R, B-A-K-O-R-A-H, or B-A-K-O-R. Now, in Genesis one one, where we have Genesis, because we had in the beginning the word there is Bareshith, Bareshith, B-A-R-E-S-H-I-T, or Resheath. But better, Barashith. B A R E S H Barashith. Okay. B-A-R-R-E-S-H-I-T-H. Okay. Barashith. Now, remember, I was teasing Pastor the other day that I greeted him. Uh, he said, I said, Achille. So he said, it is uh, cool down. So I said, if it was in the same language, that's called the tone Triple tone You have triple on intermediate entendre. That is, words that sound alike usually have the same root. I'm freestyling. So when you have. Bakor and bah-re. You have a an untone. Right? It's sounding this is middle on tone. ba Bakor. Ba-re. Now Bakora, firstborn, in the beginning. barishit. You see it? Pam pam. Sound I like. <laughs> you with me? <laughs> so you have barreshith. Bakora. Barashith means, it's used for, let me give you an instance. Genesis 49.3, check it. Here is where those two words are used, Bacchora and Barashith. He said, Reuben, my firstborn, the beginning of my strength. Firstborn, Bacchora, beginning Barashith. Can you see it? Huh? That's the middle long tone. It sounds alike. So it's from the root word. Can you see it? You called him firstborn. And what else? But, okay? Firstborn beginning. So, firstborn beginning are synonyms. Huh? So, track back in Genesis 1 1. In the beginning. In the beginning. Barreshith. Used for first fruit, firstborn. Firstly, in the beginning. Now, did you notice that he calls Reuben the beginning? So, which means firstborn can also mean new beginning. Right? Come on. Huh? Because he's existing, he calls his son his beginning. The beginning of his strength. Which means a continuation. Are we together? Good. So, when you have firstborn, firstborn is one who continues your work. Or who bears your responsibilities and continues your work. Now, Biologically and culturally, it should be your first male child, which is narrow, extremely narrow cultural prism. P-R-I-S-M, I mean. So, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, which is the background of earlier Christian writings, the firstborn is like the heir of a man who takes his responsibilities, duties, office, and privileges, and he carries it out. Now, let me, let me roll that across the line so you get it. So, you know, the Bible was not written from a foreign world. We're all Africans. And we know that in the, we're all Africans. I, I hope so. So, let me, that's, that's quite a blank statement. I take that back. We should be Africans. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> you know, and we have this culture of those who are into voodoo. So, or, or let's say voodoo. You know they have now when say this in church, people say, "Ha! Ah, look at what written in the pulpit is in the Bible." And the guy I have a chief priest. He has a son, his own biological son, who is meant to be an heir to him. So he trains him. So when he dies, the guy becomes maybe he's a chief priest. The guy becomes the next chief priest. Now, in some cultures, he will marry his wives. There's sometimes his biological child is disqualified, so he trains someone else. So that guy is called his son. So son is not really only biological. It means one who takes your place. So when we call Jesus the son of God and he is God, it shouldn't be confusing except you are using biological terms. Okay? Are you with me? So, firstborn, the bakora or the bakor, is, now, the bakora actually means right of firstborn. It, it means a right of firstborn or the place of the firstborn. So, if firstborn is the one who takes the place of a man, his duties, responsibilities, and privileges, he takes that. So whatever the father is, his firstborn assumes it. So within their cultural prism, it will be his first male child. His first male child, and you know that many cultures are practically, practically uh, patriarchal. They deal with males, and it's a it's in the Bible. It's not the scriptures that. Uh, started Petraka uh, systems. It's in the world because it's a it's a it's a, it's a product of a fallen man, where a, a male guy is meant to be superior to the female. Ridiculous, though, but it's still so. It's just a cultural thing, and sometimes it can be called psychological. But some folks have you know uh, broken out of that nonsense. I remember in in my secondary school, uh, I was going on the boss. And this, these two guys, and they were, you know, molesting this lady, of course, very stupidly. So she warned them, and they refused. And she, I think she said something to them. And it felt because they were guys, they could harass her. They got down from the balls. By the time she was done with the two of them, she stepped on one like this and held one down like this. You know, she beat the two of them flat out. So which means the superiority is just cultural. That happened in your class in school. You had some ladies, they went way ahead of you. Right? True. Also sports. There are (laughs) some female footballers that are way better than many playing in some clubs. Let me leave that out now. (laughs) And they are sprints, sprinters. You know Flo Jo? Huh? Okay, well, there's a listen, list one. She goes 100 meters in 10 seconds. She can give you 50 meters gap. You say, Pastor Gilbert, stay 50 meters away. <laughs> Start to run. I'll catch up with you. So the superiority doesn't make sense. So that's why to impose patriarchy... You have to be unrealistic and really be cohesive. You are not, to dominate a woman would take culture or a psychological enslavement. It is not real. There are women that can beat up men. There are many. One blow, seven die. There are many women more intelligent. Far more intelligent. There are Many women, better drivers, better pilots, better presidents, that's clear, amen? Amen. Better parents. So it's culture. And I tell people, culture is man-made. That's why don't raise your daughters with dolls. How about that for a message tomorrow? You buy something intelligent for the guy, you buy a door for the girl. Why? Because he likes his face. And you say, better be careful. When you get to your husband's house, nonsense. There was a guy who was telling me uh, uh, the wife doesn't cook for him every day, every morning, uh, every evening. And they were classmates in school. I said, in school, what did you score? Second class lower, she made a first class. You want a first class degree older to cook for you. She went ahead and had a master's degree. She said, did you send your own daughter to school to grow up and be cooking? He said, No. She's cooking for you, it's lovely. But you have to realize she has her own dreams and ambitions, just like you. You sit down, you walk something out, but no one should get married to you and kill their dreams. How about that for a sermon? Man, is it walking out? Amen. It's walking out. So Petraki is in human system. It's not Bible. Now, do we have traces of it in Bible? Yes, because here is God struggling with human culture. So Jesus, when they asked him in Matthew 19, this is not my emphasis. I'm going back to that in a moment. He said, "For what cause shall a man put away his wife? Look at the statement: put away." The Greek is like saying, sou, 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 sou. you don't have to chase at the end. The you know, chicks. For what cause shall a man? He said, Have you not read that he that made them at the beginning made them male and female? It means man is male and female. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Jesus took them out of the marital institution and went into the identity of man. One flesh. For this cause shall the man father and mother, and be cleaved to his wife, and she become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, which we use on the marriage, marriage ceremony, Jesus wasn't talking about marriage. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. What is God joined together? God has mankind as male and female. Now, Jesus went to Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Now, if you get to Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, we have a book we did on this, um, The Woman I Know. And you have God had Adam now, and Adam is looking for an helpmate. God becomes his helpmate. Let's leave that for now. Then God call, causes Adam to have a deep sleep. Genesis chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. He has a deep sleep. And we think it's anesthesia. It's... But you go to Genesis 15, verse 12. You see that Abraham had the same sleep. It's a vision. Deep sleep is a vision. And then he saw the woman as the bone of his bones. Now... That is not a missing, uh, the, the, uh, uh, so, so a reap. God took a reap out of me, out of man, and made the woman. And we think the reap there is biological. For example, science had not come to the point of knowing rib's then. So that's not reap. The Hebrew word there is selah, T S E L A, a side of a building. Now that word is used about six so many times in the, in the Old Testament is used for the building of the tabernacle. What's God telling us? Man is my dwelling place, and it's male and female. So if you are looking for your missing rib, go to a doctor. A woman is not your missing rib. The rib there is a side of the tabernacle, which man is. All this. Lack of understanding is what people preach in marriage seminars. So don't infuse patriarchy into the scriptures. Yes, God struggles with it because man-made systems. That's what we call Old Testament. He's walking through it. So patriarchy, where a woman is dominated, is not scripture. Not at all. That is why the first utterance of redemption is a seed of the woman. That's God puncturing every cultural connotation. Seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent. That is what the Messiah is. Seed of the woman. That is a statement. Interventions. Contradicting, contrasting human opinions and culture. God does that in scripture. Who's following what I'm saying this morning? So, Firstborn, literally, let me mention this. This is why genealogy was slanted for the male children. So when people ask questions like, where was Cain's wife? I ask them, what about Sarah's dad? The point is, they didn't make reference to the women. Because in their culture, women were secondary. But did you notice (laughs) that in Genesis, the utterance of the Messiah and the expectation was from Eve, not Adam. Eve was the one that said, The Lord, instead of Cain, Abel, whom Cain slew, has provided another seed. Genesis 4:25 and 26. She utters what God will do. We also have Rebekah. Rebekah is the one God revealed to what he will do. Same as Sarah. So consistently in scripture we have women know the will of God and even walk in it. And we have Moses' sister Miriam who also knew the will of God and preserved his life. And his mom, you hardly hear by his father. What's God doing? He's puncturing the holes of patriarchy. Who's following what I'm saying this morning? He intervenes. So human culture is not just African. And I told you earlier, it's a function of sin. Anything that dominates fellow human beings, slavery, patriarchy, and all those kind of stuff, it's a function of sin. Sin is always selfish, self-centered, seeks to be proud, domineering, domineering over others. So that's what you have. So when you have first born, right? That's what we're at, right? That's what we're at, Looking at Bible definitions. Let's, let, let me track back a bit. Do you learn something from that? Some, so what we're saying is the author does not own the meaning. It should technically well, it also doesn't. The moment he uses a book or a language, he has ceded his authority to that book. So we're looking at firstborn. Bakor, Bakora, Barashith. Remember the on Huh? They sound alike, and we're saying that they are alike. Bakora, Bakor, and Barashith. So we have firstborn, in the culture, will be the fellow who takes the place of the father upon his demise. So he assumes his office, his responsibilities. Watch this. So we have the first guy who the word firstborn is used for is Abel. Our assumption is a Cain and Abel, and that's what that book does for you, the yellow book, Jehovah Wickedness. You have Abel brought lettuce or vegetable stew, so a Cain. And then you have Abel brought, you know, suya, <laughs> fried meat. And God seems to like fried meat, say, I love fried meat. You And God accepted fried meat, and he doesn't like vegetable stew. How does that even sound? And people say, the reason is for that is because uh, uh, Abel brought blood. Hmm. It makes it worse. Cain brought a cursed plant. How does that even sound? So God wants blood. I can blood. Blood. How does that sound? Nope. The word bakorah. Is used there, the first leans. The first leans. firstborn. Okay? Which means in place of Adam is Abel. In place of Adam is Abel. Now, if that's not clear enough, because at that time we can't go into all that detail, you now have Abraham. Now, any Bible scholar will tell you that Abraham, in Abraham, God writes the wrong done in Adam. So you always find the contrast. Seed of the woman, Adam. Seed of Abraham. Okay? Are we together? All the nations of the earth, Abraham. Replenish the earth, Adam. So you have you know, all that um, contrast. So you have Abraham now has two children. Ishmael given to him by Agar, and you have Isaac given by his wife, Sarah. And God says it has to be Isaac. Why? Isaac is a child of promise. A child of the spirit. So Abraham is going to Mount Moriah. God says to him, take your son. Your only son. Now, there's Ishmael, yet Isaac is called the only son. Okay? And he goes with him with the only son. So from that point, you will know that he's not talking biologically. Only son. It's not biologically. So Isaac also now has two children. It has Jacob and Esau. They are born together, but Esau comes first. Esau becomes the firstborn. Jacob is secondborn in order of age or time. But the mom, Rebekah, had seen a vision and said, there are two nations, right, and one will bruise a heel, That takes you back to Genesis three and fifteen. Just follow what I'm saying here. So you have Esau and Jacob. So one day they were um, at McDonald's, and Esau doesn't have money. He's not having money to buy uh, Big Mac. He can't buy McDonald's. He's just seen Jacob has all them on the table. Then he says to him, "I'm so hungry." Jacob says, "Can I have the blessing? Can I have it?" Then he says, "What's my own? What's what's the what profit do I get from from the blessing?" So I give me food. The Bible says he despised it. Now people naturally think that what's what's happening there is. He's talking about a uh, material benefit. No. They know in their culture that the first male child ought to be the firstborn. But you see, the truth is that God had rewritten that from Abel. Abel had the right of the firstborn, not Cain. Isaac had it, not Ishmael. So we come to Jacob and Esau here, and Esau says, I don't give a hoot about that. Take it, take it. He despised it. Now, the question we should have asked ourselves is what is this right? What, what did the fathers have? Adam was God's prophet, priest, and king. Genesis 2:15 was addressed and kept the garden, the priestly office. Genesis 1:26 28, so have dominion, kingdom. And then Abraham was God's prophet. Genesis 20, verse 7. He's also his priest. Isaac is God's prophet. So, pay attention here. If there will be a firstborn right, it will be the office of a priest and what? A prophet. So, where Jacob said, let me have your portion. Let me have it. Because it's also called the double portion. Double portion simply means if you have 10 kids. Right? 10 children. You use land as a symbolic representative of, the, uh, uh, representative of that. So you have land. You divide the land into 11 portions. You give each of the children one portion each. One, sorry, a portion each to, each of, to all the children. Then there's one left. You now give it to the firstborn. Now, so he has the right of the firstborn. Besides taking a hold of your office, he also has a supervising role over the others. So, Jacob and Esau had that conversation. And Esau said, I don't give a damn about the firstborn. I don't care. He doesn't care about prophets and all these ministries. doesn't care, you know. And we have Christians who say things like that. I don't care. You know, yeah. Let me eat. What profit is prayer meeting? What profit is uh, flowing in the spirit? That, would that bring food to my table? That's what he said. So well, What profit? Would that, why, why would that make me buy a brand new car? Praying in the spirit all night. Is that the answer to Ghana's problems? You hear people talk stupidly like that. Right? Say, what? Oh, that's why the writer of Hebrews calls him a profane man. He's profane. He he he, he treats heavenly things lightly and earthly things heavenly. As a profane man, it's not referring to wealth. No, not at all. Abraham passed no wealth to Isaac. Isaac struggled. Hope you know. He strove. They chased him away. Strove again. Then he has strove. He says, "The Lord has made room for us." That's like trying three different business ventures, I'm feeling. So he got to Isaac, and then, he, of course, he was going to die, and he's, he couldn't see. And so he calls his two children. I mean, his first son, he likes the guy a lot. And that's Esau. Go prepare me some meal, which is their culture. All right? Now, just like every one of us, we usually forget how we got to where we are. He knew he had an elder brother called Ishmael, yet he's the firstborn. But he forgot that he got there by grace. So he likes Esau. Esau goes out and prepares something. You already know that Jacob is an own boy. <laughs> Esau is a guy that goes around the world and makes money. So he comes back. But by the time he's back, the mom had gone to Jacob. Go quickly. Make meal. Put it. Your dad's going to bless you. Bless your brother. The guy said, "Ah, it's going to cost me." People oftentimes miss this part. It was Rebecca that told him to do it. Why? Because Rebecca had the vision. She knew he was the firstborn. Let me say quickly, click, quickly, quickly. Jacob did not deceive Isaac. Jacob simply took his place. This is a, this is very strange, right? <laughs> No, Rebekah said, you go. Then he said, if my dad knows I did this, he's going to curse me. He said, let the curse be upon me. That's what Rebekah said. He goes, he comes. Back. The man lays hands on him and he gives him the blessing of Abraham. The blessing of the firstborn. Then he goes, which is rightfully ease. Then you have Esau oh so boy, bless your brother. Oh, daddy, okay, it means just to talk. Blessing. no, your brother has been blessed. He's not saying he did it. He remembered who he was and he shall remain blessed. For you to know how ridiculous Esau is, he said, all right. He said, when my father is dead, after his mourning, I'm going to kill this guy. See how he thinks? He already knows God has chosen Isaac. I mean, Jacob. Just the same way he has no respect for spiritual things. Whether he's a man of God or not doesn't stop me. I will kill him. That's what he's saying. I don't care. I'm going to kill him. Because Rebecca, again, a woman of God, she goes and goes into Jacob. So she's going to run. But that's going to kill you. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit. Hope you know that. Hope you know that. Do you know in, in Exodus 1, the king said he was going to kill all the male children, right? And then the midwives, the midwives who knew the will of God and the promise he made to Abraham, they preserved the lives of the small boys. Now today people are dying because they've, they miscoat that portion. They tell oh, can we, oh, a woman is heavy, she's about to put to bed, and they say, can we do the CS? Caesarean says, no, 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 I'm an Hebrew woman. I'm an Hebrew woman. I'm an Hebrew woman. So what do you mean Hebrew woman? Hebrew woman, do not they, don't, they don't require surgery. <laughs> Where well, there are surgeries in Egypt? Hebrew woman, doctor, he cried. People have died thinking that way. Someone asked me, sir, my wife wants to have CS, What do you think, sir? I want the child. Anyhow. Say, is it? don't be silly. And so, what did the women do? They simply preserved the lives of the young men. Something they told a lie. No. Nope. Preserving lives is not a lie. If someone comes against your neighbor and is looking for your neighbor to kill your neighbor and you put your, you hide your neighbor say, where's your neighbor? Say, it's there. You have not lied. You preserved a life. That's for another day. Jesus was same way hid from Herod. Same way. So they preserved the life. And so the king is wondering. How are the Hebrews? They're the Hebrew boys. The way they come out, ah, your highness. The way they they just come out oh. We don't even know how they came out. They are preserving their lives. Is that it? And what does God do? God keeps Moses in the house of Pharaoh. He hides him for forty years. Forty years. And Moses acts like he's a child of Pharaoh, and he is not, and that is not a lie. Exactly what Rebekah did to Jacob. The New Testament will come up and call it cryptos. He hid his wisdom. Hiding is not lying. Amen. Uh, you helped me do freestyle preaching this morning. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you have. He goes to kill him. And Jacob runs away. So that you know it's not material. Esau becomes very wealthy. Extremely wealthy. In fact, let me put this in a way. The very first cursed person in the Bible, the first cursed human being in the Bible, was Cain. And the first sign of his curse was that he built a city. He's so cursed that he's wealthy. He's not just wealthy, he has children and family. If someone doesn't have a child today, you say, I think there's a curse. Because the Bible says, Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Can you replenish the earth? You. I mean if you have a child per day, no, per hour, and you live for a hundred years, you can't replenish a So how you think replenish the earth means to be giving birth? Nonsense. So having not having money is not a curse. It just means you are poor. And having money can mean you are cursed. Can also, no, sorry. Having money doesn't mean you cannot be cursed. Or you are not cursed. So the cursed guy, he's wealthy. Esau, so wealthy. So Jacob wants to go reconcile. Jacob has to go and work. He, he, he had to go and get a work visa. Goes to Leban's house. He works and works and works, and then he has to. It's just like his grandfather and father. You know, there's just something about those three guys. He's working to get his wife, and then and in the process, he's smart. He acquires some, but then he acquires children with money. So he has children, and then he wants to go meet his brother. And he has sent SMSs. He has sent emails. And they got a meeting place. So he's afraid of his brother. He separates his family. You go, in case I don't make it. In case I don't make it. So he goes to his brother. And as he's going from afar, he's already saying his brother from afar. "Ah, Brother, brother, you know I love you. You know, the guy is just looking at him. He hugs him. He says, look at your children. He's already surrendering. He said, I brought goods for you. Gifts, ampers. You know what he told him? Don't worry. I have enough. See, his mind is a materialistic and carnal person. Who should bless who? I have enough. Have you seen back, Christians? you're talking to them and they say, I'm doing fine now. I just, I just bought my latest uh, SUV. It's 2026 model. Um, I have uh, four houses around to my side. Um, I tried to uh, buy, I, I think I, I bought the Accra Stadium, but they, they'll give me the certificates. How's your Christian life? That's what I'm telling you. you know a pastor wants to pray for you I look at his shoe I say don't worry pastor don't bother praying for me (laughs) do you get it a pastor wants to pray for you he wants to prophesy amen amen. I have enough carnal materialistic flesh from the first day so what profits is. That means they knew that the firstborn blessing was not money. It's simply responsibility. So, when you hear firstborn, right, is it biology or responsibility? So, look at Exodus 4, 23. Is it making sense? Remember what we started from? When you want to interpret, you look at the mind of the author who owns the meaning of the word, right? However, we just said the moment he uses a language or a book, he gives his authority over to that book. So, all your definition of New Testament words must come from where? Did you learn something from that? It must come from the Old Testament because that is where the authority is from. Are we here? Exodus four twenty two. You there? All right. Look at the B part. The B part. Read it out. Exodus four twenty two. Israel is what? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Can I be Israel? Is my boy? Eh? Huh? Can't be. He's talking about boy. Nope. Biological. So when you have. So when he said to. Uh, 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 Abraham take your only son biological no it means the one that will inherit your office and responsibility is it clear so when you call Jesus the son of God it's not biological don't argue with Muslims amen Israel is my son my First, is it making sense now? My firstborn. So, biological or representative? Israel will represent me. So, Jesus, the son of God, means he represents and he is God who represents himself. Not biological. Who is his mother? Say, Holy Spirit, if I knock you. <laughs> oh, marry the mother of God. Alright, you learning something? So, to interpret, you have to stay with Bible definitions. So, Jesus is the firstborn. So, which born am I? I am in him. Is that clear? You are not secondborn or thirdborn. You are in the firstborn. So, the church of God is called the church of the firstborn. Hebrews 12, 23. Learning something? So therefore, we interpret the New Testament with what? <laughs> we interpret the New Testament with what? The Old Testament. So when it says son of God, now are we the sons of God. Biological? Representative? Responsibility? Exactly. Now are we the sons of God. It means we reflect him. Reuben is my firstborn, the beginning of my strength. Bakora and Barashith. But notice that Reuben didn't get it. He was cursed. It was Joseph that got the firstborn right. So when Joseph was born, that was why he was showing the signs. He began to see visions. And just like every firstborn from Abel, there will be persecution, attempt to kill. Are you learning something? So Abel did not offer God go to Abel acted as a priest. That was happening. You, know, you know, got goats, you see? White goats. You are with this book. Hey, you know, that's stuff. Then he brings goats like this and you have God speaking like, <laughs> like a rainbow. <laughs> you know, you have, uh, Esau brings his own, um, I mean, Cain. Cain brings his own lettuce and um, carrots. And then he's frowning. Take my vegetable stew. We're gonna say, no, I want fried meat. <laughs> because, because God's not a veggie. <laughs> Rubbish theology. <laughs> it simply means Abel stepped into the office of what? The firstborn. That's why in Luke eleven, forty nine to fifty two, Jesus calls Abel a prophet. Some. So, the firstborn of scripture is in Genesis as who? Was the first person? Abel. Was he hated? Was there bitterness against him? Persecuted and killed. So, Jesus had to be killed. Okay? Then we now have who? We have who now? We have Isaac. Isaac was mocked, right? Was, he, was there strife against him? See? Was there strife against Jesus? Then we have Jacob. Was there an attempt to kill him? Same thing. Then we have Joseph, hated by his brothers. Jesus was hated by his brothers, Israel. So as soon as he saw visions, he got up and said, I saw, my, I saw stars. And they all bowing down. And he said, huh? They knew what he was saying. Bowing down what? Then the first and second time, they hated him the more. The third one, he now mentioned his daddy and mommy. Ah. He was, what was wrong with this boy? But Jacob, kept those things in his heart right this is the firstborn because the firstborn will be a prophet he will see visions and revelations did Isaac see it did Jacob see it talk to me Abel amen that's the right of the firstborn. that's the blessing of Abraham So the first one, Joseph, also saw visions. He's hated, persecuted, exiled. Eventually, he becomes the redeemer of the entire family. Come on. You there? Now, he got to his own turn. His dad is alive, Jacob. Genesis 48. He brings his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And he says, Daddy, this is the first child. And the second child. So he expects he brings the first child to the right, which is to the father's right, his left. He brings the second child and the father. He's a, he's a prophet. He can't see physically, just like Isaac is dad, but he can see in the spirit. So he turns his hand. So the right-hand concept, you hear? The right-hand concept is responsibility, ordination, power, and authority. So he uses the right hand. He crosses his hands. And just like every one of us, Joseph is upset. A product of grace. Upset at grace in another person. Same way with Jonah. Jonah has just been rescued. He said, salvation is of the Lord. He said, oh, he said, I know. Out of the belly of the whale have I cried out to you. Oh hell. He's grateful for God's saving grace. He's about to escape. God saves him. Then he goes to Nineveh and finds out that God has pardoned Nineveh and he is upset. Someone that was just rescued. Say I'm gracious to others. You need to. You know. And you find Christians who are products of forgiveness. They can forgive others. Charles Cap said this at begin close. Charles Cap said something that got my attention. Can I think in 87? He said, now now I don't subscribe to this 100%, but it definitely leads us to the eventual truth. When he says, Charles Cap said, the sin unto death is unforgiveness. That got my attention. He said because it is a, a continuing sin. You don't say, Lord, forgive me for not forgiving. No, you have to forgive. You following that? Because unforgiveness is weighty, it goes to the root of who you are in Christ. I struggle to call you a believer if you cannot forgive. Sometimes we, we don't extend the same things. I've seen people preach grace and all that until they need to do the same for others. There's our hearing stories. Explanations. And I'm thinking, seriously? Seriously? How? You know, sir, sir, sir. I remember a couple like that. Now, of course, a man must be faithful to his wife, okay? He has to be faithful to his wife. It's a show of his Christian character. He has to be faithful, all right? But then things go bad sometimes in some families and instances. It's not widespread, I believe. So I was trying to counsel this couple, and I said, you know, and the wife was bitter. How can he do it to me? I said, What exactly did he do to you? Asa! Ah, I'm his wife. I said, I know. That's why you both came. What exactly did he do to you? He had sex with the woman he's not married to. Yes, it's a sin against God. Do you realize that? Yes! But then, apart from God, relax. Has God forgiving him. She said, yes, I know. God is always forgiving. So why can't you? Are you spending me, sir? Then she said, this was in 1996 or 5. She said, I told him, you are grieving the Holy Spirit. I said, no, you are the one grieving the Holy Spirit. Wow. Because the scripture you refer to said, put away anger, wrath, unforgiveness, grieve not the Holy Spirit. She said, open your Bible. Look at it. She looked at it. <sighs> but then, sir, we now say, I'm not saying anything with you. Of course, I told the man, he has to be disciplined, he has to be a good husband, a good example of a Christian, and not put himself in such situations and mess. He has to live right. Is that clear? But I told the woman, you are not acting like a Christian. Forgive. The same person would not come to church. Thank you, Jesus, for the grace that you have given me. I could never repay you. Do you want someone else to repay? (laughs) So Joseph was just like that. We all do it. But you know, he had grown. Genesis 50, I closed here. I've Three more times to close. His brothers were still scared. So as soon as the father died, they thought he was going to come after them. So they quickly crafted an email. <laughs> Jacob Abraham at God's So they sent an email. said um, 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 Joe, Joe, you, have you checked your email recently? He said, uh, Well, my PA has. No, please check your email. There's something that he sent. He told me that he sent it. Uh, Ruben, when did he send it? I think he said three weeks before he died. And uh, no, 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 no. Uh, no, no, it's not three weeks now. Uh, Judah says, No, no, no. He was about four weeks. No, is it three? No. He sent it. Check your email. And he saw it. Dear Joseph, you know I really love you. Your brothers may have offended you. Please make sure that you cover them and protect them. Don't hurt them. You are put out of the grace of God. They wrote a long email, and they put their father's signature, even though it ain't right. They were scared. So he turned to them and said, "Don't don't bother yourself. I won't hurt you. What you meant for evil, God turned it around for good, and He sent me here to preserve your lives. That's Jesus." Amen. Are you there? So that's the first point. So Jesus on the cross in the resurrection acted Joseph. He acted Abel. Did he act Abel? He acted Isaac. Alright. So when you hear the word became flesh. This is the flesh he became. He became like Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses. That's the flesh he became. So we see all those characters played out In the ministry of Jesus. What exciting it is to read the scriptures together. Amen. And all the words will come alive to you. Oh, God bless you. See you in the evening. Bless you.